Welcome to episode four of the Longleaf Podcast. As always, this is Andrew Dunn, founder and publisher of Longleaf Politics, the smartest way to follow real North Carolina news. We're talking today with Chad Stakowitz, the founder and CEO of a tech company in Charlotte and the Democratic candidate for North Carolina Senate District 39. Chad's going to be facing Senator Dan Bishop after winning his primary race by just 17 votes. We talk a little today about why he decided to get into the race, what he's hearing as he knocks on doors around the district, and what he thinks about education and health care policy here in North Carolina. Here we go. Senate will come to order. Sergeant Arms will close the doors. Members and will go to their seats. So, Chad, you are the founder of a fast-growing company. You're the father of two young children. Why on earth are you running for office, and how do you find the time? Yeah, so I think, uh, obviously, the, the, the time question is difficult. Everybody only has so many hours in a day. Uh, but I think that I represent the average family in South Charlotte, a family owner that, uh, you know, a lot of people are, 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 are one or two working parents, uh, a lot of small business owners. Uh, many people with families, uh, you know, a lot of kids in school. And when we look at representation in our government, you'd like to believe that it should be accurate to the people that you're representing. And so I think it is difficult to do all of them at once. It's, it's hard to be a good father, a good representative, and a good business owner. But I think I've managed to do it by pretty much allowing those to be the three things that I have time for in my life now. And I think that, you know, it's good for Mecklenburg and South Charlotte specifically to, you know, have a representative that's dealing with the same things as the families in our area. Now, that makes a lot of sense. So how, how did the process work for you deciding to, to run for office? Mm-hmm. And uh, was there any particular factors that kind of pushed you over the edge to, to throw your hat in the ring? Well, certainly I am a small business owner, and I think while we've, we've made a good business climate with, with, with some of our policies, we, we played some games with medieval politics that, you know, certainly cost us business in the past. Uh, I might run a tech company, but most of my friends here that have businesses are in the service industry, bars, restaurants, and when we talk about decisions that takeaway conferences, when we talk about decisions that, you know, make, make companies look, look twice at coming here, you're really hurting sort of the, the, the core of our market. And, and so as a small business owner, um, you know, I, I, I certainly have looked at what our legislature has done as far as, you know, kind of playing some games rather than really focusing on our people, on our economy, and on the, on the steps it takes to move the needle and and I kind of go back to my original point that, you know, I really felt like it was important to have somebody, you know, accurately representing the business community where, you know, certainly South Charlotte is heavily represented by small business owners. And so um, I think that's probably how I really got started um, at, at looking in politics. And, and I think furthermore, you know, a lot of people I know started at city council or, or county commission, but I really think that the you know, in, in, a, in a state that, that has kind of a strong rule out of, out of the capital, um, there's 
there's the most way to affect citizens' lives positively, you know, at a state level here in North Carolina. And when I really looked at the issues that I think, you know, influence business, influence our education system, influence wages, you know, I, I felt like I could have a good impact there based on some of my prior experience. Yeah, I mean, and that all sounds um, pretty reasonable. I mean, it, it sounds like your your pitch is that of a fairly business friendly, moderate politician uh you know is there room for that anymore in today's political world you know uh obviously i had a very close primary at 17 votes and i think that goes to show that certainly in the environment that we live in where we're you know uh i i think i think what gerrymandering does is it makes the primary really strong and then out of the primary may become um you know more left and or, or right candidates you know, based on which party you're running for, um, because I think those are, are sort of the base of those parties nowadays. And so I think in a general election, and I think overall, I think there's there's definitely an appetite for moderacy. I think, it, you know, my my race goes to show that in a primary, you, you really, if you're going to be a moderate today in one of your parties, you, you should have a good story and you should work really hard because I I do think it's, you know, it's a it's a tough place to live in uh, early in the campaign season. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're we're just now getting started to ramp up uh, election season for the November elections. But, you know, we've already had one election that back in May, the, the primary election. And a lot of times uh, for some seats that are really heavily weighted toward one part or the other, everything can get um, locked up then. Now, now certainly uh, that's not necessarily the case here in South Charlotte. Um, but how do you break through to people so early in a campaign cycle when people aren't necessarily paying attention to state legislative politics? How do you get people engaged? How do you uh, convince them to pay attention? Yeah, I think the easiest way, and I think people, you know, you hear it, people watch Twitter, try and get involved, but, you know, I've knocked on a lot of doors and there is absolutely nothing that, um, moves the needle further than than actually meeting constituents and just talking to them a little bit. And when I say talking to them a little bit, like there's a lot of voters out there that just want to know your name and have your contact information if something comes up and the fact that you gave that to them can be enough. Um, and, and I think, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of times as politicians, we're sitting back and, 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 and trying to focus on how do we target in social media and, What's our messaging in mail? But uh, I think candidates have shown that uh, if you go out there and you know go to a lot of events, knock on a lot of doors, spend a lot of hours at the polls, and actually you know get to know your constituency by name, uh, I think you've got a really good chance to win. And I think I think that's the easiest way to move the needle. I can't tell you, you know, when, when we won by 17 votes in the primary, one of the things that I found spectacular was I did a lot of phone banking for the primary. I didn't do a lot of door knocking, but I I, not, I, I called a lot of people, a couple thousand primary voters myself. And some of these were as early as November. And so um, some of these people that I called in November, you know, they mailed me or posted on Facebook uh, on May 9th after our very close election and said, hey, I went out and voted for you. I hope that's the difference, right? You called me. And so 
one of the things that I gained a lot of faith in through the primary season was that being out there, being visible, uh, making yourself available, and having the conversation. And they don't have to be conversations you agree with. One of the other things I'm finding is, you know, um, I don't think anybody agrees with anyone 100% of the time. And so just having a conversation where, you know, you're going to agree sometimes and not others, that means a lot to people to be willing to do that. It's, you know, share opinions and, and take their opinions into account. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's how you make a difference early in the race. Yeah. You know, you go out there and you, you spend the time. Absolutely. And after winning the primary by only 17 votes, you'll never have to search for a, a reason to convince somebody that every vote counts. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Now, when you go out, when you call people on the phone or when you um, get them to open the door when you're knocking on doors, what do people want to talk about? What are they asking you about and what do they want to know from you? Uh, certainly, I mean, as far as topics go, it's very clear to me that that schools are number one. And, you know, I'll be I'm knocking on Republican and unaffiliated and Democrat stores. And so um, in, in terms of schools and healthcare, which I, I think are the two most asked questions, I think people's opinion on how to fix them are are different. But I I definitely think that you know, uh, they, they are the most, they are the most asked policy questions. And that is, you know, I think people, people agree here in North Carolina schools have gone downhill, you know, over the course of the last decade. Uh, and I think people, people, I think healthcare is a very difficult topic to understand. And, um, I do think there's concrete steps that we can take to fix it, but people, I think that's a more emotional topic. Um, for, for people and uh, I, I think that one's a, a harder conversation but people just agree that healthcare is too high whether they have it through their company or whether they're buying it on the marketplace uh, I think people you know even people in my position view healthcare as unaffordable nowadays and so those are the two policy questions yeah that's super interesting uh, you know education clearly this, the state of North Carolina funds uh, the the majority uh, of our schools or the, provides the majority of the funding for our schools but a lot of times you think of healthcare as more of a national issue now of course the state does play some sort of role because the state legislature could um, uh, vote to approve expanding Medicaid and Medicare uh, and some states in in the United States are um, working on some experiments on state-run healthcare plans or other uh, experiments like that. I mean, what do you see as the state's role in healthcare? Well, I, I think you're hitting on a, a topic that, that starts to get into the heart of, of why we go out and talk to voters, which is, I do think that they're, in the, in the average voter, that not the people like me and you that follow it every day, really what role does the federal government versus what does the, the state government versus what does the local government play in all of these policies? And, you know, they obviously change state to state. Uh, but, you know, I, I think what I've found through this process, um, I think people have the least visibility into what the state legislature actually does for them in a role that I think is probably the most affecting on their lives. And, and so, you know, I, I I think obviously we, we always talk about, you know, state legislative races and local races still being framed by the national conversation and the national outlook and feel. 
And so I think that's why, why healthcare comes up. To answer your question specifically, I think not expanding Medicaid is, is a big mistake, right? We, anytime you would come to me as a business owner and say, if, if, if you give me $9, I'll, or I'm sorry, if you give me $1, I'll give you $9 match. I'm taking that deal. I don't even know what it's for. Um, and, and so, you know, when we talk about really trying to get extra money to work with in the legislature, I think expanding the Medicaid is, uh, you know, kind of a no brainer for us to, to get some more money to work, work with. But, you know, uh, I think fundamentally the best way and reason to go out to talk to voters is for them to understand what job we're running for and what we can do. And one of the things, I don't know what everybody chooses to do, but I have tried to be extremely honest and forthcoming about the problems I can work on, the problems I can solve, sort of the, the overlap and, and sort of an education of voters. And I think this all goes back to, you know, how do you win an election? How do you earn votes? I think, I think it's understanding that every voter is different. Uh, everyone has an opinion and a voice that, that deserves to be heard and working with them to, to figure out and, and be more educated about our system and how to use their voice. That, that means a lot to people. Yeah, that's one of the really neat things about local politics and and local races is that you really can get out there and make a difference just by knocking on doors and talking to people. And you're not so caught up in just blanketing the airwaves with TV ads or uh, something like that. And the other cool thing about knocking on doors is, you know, it's something that any candidate can do, you know, you know, if they have the time and the the energy uh, without having to have a a huge campaign war chest. but so you're you're the Democratic candidate in District 39 and the, the state Democratic Party is uh, talking a lot about kind of all the fundraising that its candidates are able to do. I know the state party is sitting on about five point eight million. Are you seeing any of that? Is the state party helping you out at all in your race? Yeah, so I think that, you know, I don't know how how the Republican Party works. You know, all I've, I this is my first time, but I, I think. I think ultimately, you know, both parties probably make very educated decisions around numbers and, and opportunity. And I, you know, uh, I think it's still pretty early in the season, right? When you look at, I think a lot of people don't understand where campaign money goes. Most of it goes to, uh, I think, still here in local politics, probably to mail, um, which I think would surprise a lot of people because they're like, who, you know, who looks at their mail? But I think subliminally, you always kind of, shuffle through your mail right and so um in terms of of quote unquote helping i think the parties always always try and help you with um information uh, messaging um you know strategy as far as organizing your field operations um and then i think you know most of most of the financial contributions probably aren't you know direct money injections as much as helping you get your message out to the constituents as they see fit. Ultimately, uh, you know, we have a super majority here and we are, you know, one of the most competitive Senate races here in the state. And, um, you know, one of the best ways I think that we can move the needle is, you know, by, by working with voters. And I think what the parties choose to do and the independent expenditure groups choose to do in our race, um, you know, we're, we're, Frankly, we're we're a little outside of that that messaging. I, um, you know, we're we're going to focus on what we have the entire time since September when we started this. We're going to focus on the correct messaging. We're going to focus on meeting our voters, and um, we're going to 
you know, let the party and independent expenditure groups, uh, you know, do what they're going to do, regardless of who is running in the seat. Yeah, I mean, in my experience covering politics, I don't think I've ever seen so much attention paid to state legislative races. So that's certainly going to be interesting to watch unfold over the next few months. Well, that's about all the time that we have. Uh, Again, we're talking today with Chad Stackowitz, uh, Democratic candidate for North Carolina Senate District 39 in South Charlotte. Chad, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to uh, reading more Longleaf Politics blogs. I've enjoyed what you guys have done so far. And thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for episode four of the Longleaf Podcast. If you haven't made it over to longleafpolitics.com yet, please do so and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. I promise it won't waste your time. And now you can subscribe to the Longleaf Podcast on all of your podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all that good stuff. We'll see you again soon. So many in favor that motion will say aye. Those opposed, no. The eyes have it, the sentence stands adjourned.